welcome to episode three of the Berkeley Law Alumni Association podcast. Today, we are joined by three fabulous Berkeley Law alumni who are going to talk with us about starting your first judicial clerkship. My name is Kara Sandberg. I graduated from Berkeley Law in 2012 and currently serve as a vice president of the Berkeley Law Alumni Association. Right after graduating from law school, I clerked for Judge Thompson on the First Circuit, then Judge Ilston on the Northern District of California, and I now have the honor of serving as a chamber's attorney for Justice Cuellar on the California Supreme Court. Today's podcast episode is aimed at Berkeley graduates who will be starting their clerkships in the coming months. Let's start with introductions by our guests. Vikram. Hi, I'm Vikram Swaroop. Uh, I graduated in 2012 as well. Um, I clerked for Judge Schroeder on the Ninth Circuit and then Judge Coe on the Northern District of California. Um, currently, I am senior counsel to the Attorney General for the District of Columbia. Hi, I'm Noor Hassan. I graduated from Berkeley Law in 2020. I just wrapped up a district court clerkship with uh, Judge Matthew Kennelly in the Northern District of Illinois. I am a few days away from starting my second clerkship on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit with Judge Robert Wilkins. And hi, everyone. I'm Luke Apfeld. I graduated from Berkeley in 2018. Um, I clerked for Judge Andrew Carter in the Southern District of New York. And then after that, I clerked for uh, Judge John Owens on the Ninth Circuit in San Diego. Uh, currently, I am a associate at a boutique law firm in San Francisco called Kecker Van Ness and Peters. This is quite the accomplished group um, with clerkship experiences across the United States. So let's go back to the week before you all started your first clerkship. Do you remember what you hoped the experience would include? And do you remember what you feared it might include? Let's start with Noor. I hoped for a strong mentorship relationship with my judge. And I definitely got that sense in the interview that that was something that he took very seriously. Uh, I also wanted a strong relationship with my co-clerk. Uh, district judges in Chicago, I think, have the option of having a single judicial assistant with two law clerks or no judicial assistant and three law clerks. So it was just me and one other person. And uh, I was really looking forward to that relationship. I also wanted to understand the federal rules of civil procedure on the ground uh, in a way that I don't think makes them come alive um, you know, in the classroom. I also wanted to strengthen my legal research and writing skills and understand more about the process of judicial decision-making, understanding what arguments are persuasive, what arguments are not persuasive. How do we deal with issues and arguments that you know, are not on all fours with the written law? Um, I had a lot of fears. I was intimidated about the volume of record material in, in every class that was experiential that I had taken at Berkeley Law, there was a record, but it was not nearly as voluminous as some of the things that I ended up seeing uh, in the district court, like MDL records and um, appeals from uh, agencies like uh, Social Security and, and even bankruptcy cases. Um, I was also a little nervous about the finances, you know, being a, a law student from a low income background, thinking about, you know, 
student debt burden while also being a law clerk and, and kind of the financial uncertainties with COVID. Um, and finally, I was nervous about adjusting to the learning curve of being a law clerk. I had heard from a lot of folks that the district court is fast and furious, and I was intimidated about what the pace of the work would be like. What about you, Luke? Yeah, listening to, to Noor talk, uh, she's way farther along in the process than I was when I was thinking about clerkships. My, my hopes and fears were much more macro level, um, just about whether or not I would be qualified for the job. Did I, what did I just get myself into? You know, would I know what I was doing? And I, I hoped that, that I was entering into an environment and into a space where I would both feel validated, but also feel like I belonged and feel like um, I could do the work and I could be a law clerk. Um, and along with what, what Noor said, relationships are so important, I think, regardless of what you do professionally um, and in the law in particular, and even in clerkships more so. Um, and I was aware of that, so I was really hoping for a good chambers and good relationships with my judge and co-clerks and, and just a positive first working environment post-law school. Um, and, and that also relates to some of the fears. You know, I very much didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, and, and one thing that I was focused on a lot, was, would it be worth the sacrifice? And we're touched on it a little bit, talking about finances. Um, I think sometimes as, as a, a clerk or a soon-to-be clerk, I was worried, you know, should I have just gone to a law firm or should I have gone straight into government or straight into public interest work? And there's always this what if or this did I make the right decision? So um, those were my fears, um, that I wouldn't enjoy it, that it wouldn't be valuable, that it wouldn't be worth it. Um, and then on top of that, my first clerkship was in the Southern District of New York. Um, and I was terrified for what that meant, uh, come to find out, you know, wasn't, wasn't scary at all. But um, I was terrified what I had heard and, you know, suits, the TV show was right there. Like these clerks doing all these things, working all these crazy hours. Um, so that got into my head a little bit. I don't know, Luke, I'm pretty sure that my first clerkship was just like suits. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was, and I had just become oblivious to it, but uh, it, they, they were always filming Suits and Law and Order right outside of our, right outside of Chambers, so um, I sort of felt like I was in a movie and way more important than I actually was, um, so maybe that eased my uh, nerves a little bit. I love that. I also think that when you have to move across the country or to a new city right before you start your first clerkship, that adds a whole nother layer of things to be hopeful, but also scared of. And Vikram, I remember when you ended up moving and moving away from us for your first clerkship. Um, tell us about your hopes and fears. Yes, I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, where Suits um, and Law and & Order were certainly not filmed, um, but where it was 120 degrees when I moved there. So, um, no, I think for me, you know, my hopes, I think were similar to what Nora and Luke were talking about in terms of both wanting to learn a lot and wanting to build the relationships. I think another piece of it for me was also, you know, I was sort of the first in my family um, to go to law school. And so I didn't really even know what it was, what it meant to be a lawyer in any meaningful way. And I thought, and I was really hopeful that the clerkship was, was sort of an opportunity to learn a little bit about that and just to see the different ways in which people practice law. I guess in terms of fears, um, you know, I think again, sort of a little bit similar to what Luke was saying, I was a little terrified 
that my co-clerks would, um, you know, would be some elitists that went to like fancier law schools than, than ours and, um, and just kind of, you know, have more extensive networks from, you know, college and all that. And just, I, that I would feel sort of like an outsider. Um, so I guess that was a pretty significant fear. Um, and then the other part was, I was really worried uh, because I started on clerking on the Court of Appeals um, that the decisions and the sort of activities that I was engaged in were really high stakes that I was somehow going to like ruin the law for a third of everybody that lives in America um, by doing bad Ninth Circuit decisions. Um, so those were my fears going in. Vikram, you make a really good point about what it feels like when your first clerkship is an appellate clerkship, which was the experience both you and I had. Um, I remember in my first week of my district court clerkship thinking to myself, oh no, I've made a terrible mistake. And I know I'm not the only one that had that reaction. I hear this all the time from alumni clerks and from clerks who are brave enough to admit their greatest fears in their first couple of weeks of clerking. Um, and if anyone out there is feeling a little bit like, oh no, have I made a terrible mistake? Please know that you are not alone and we are great examples uh, to prove to you that no, you have not made a terrible mistake. You will come out of this happy and stronger and smarter than you were going in. Um, Luke, before you started your first clerkship, did you have a clear idea of your day-to-day -day responsibilities? And what surprised you most in your first few weeks of work? Yeah, I think that flows right from your last point about having no idea what's going on, especially at the district court level. So I rolled up to New York and didn't know what was going on, didn't know how to get through security. You know, they told me I had to leave my phone there. I had to convince them that I was actually a clerk. Uh, walked upstairs and I sat down and my uh, predecessor had left a 15 page memo about what I was supposed to do and highlighting some of the important cases. And I didn't know how to do any of it. I didn't know what the words meant. I forgot everything I ever learned in law school. And uh, the, last, uh, the last line of the memo was, it's okay, take a deep breath, you'll be fine. But in terms of figuring out what I had to do, it was all new. It was all new. I had 250 cases. Um, none of them I had seen before. We had a six month list with 30 or so dispositive motions that had to be decided in six months or less. Um, and every day for the first two months, it was just like, okay, procedurally, what is happening? Let me figure this out. And you talk to a lot of clerks, um, former and current, when you're kind of going through the process, or at least I recommend that's how to go through it. And everybody kind of says the same thing, right? Everybody says, yeah, a couple months in, you'll figure it out. It'll be fine. Can't really tell you exactly what to do. Each chamber is different. Um, and at the time, no law student wants to hear that, right? We're law students where most of us are type A. We're used to like knowing exactly what's going on. We're used to outlining. We're used to being on top of everything, having clerkships lined up three years ahead of time and whatnot. Um, and that's not how clerking works, at least on the district court level. So as soon as I realized that, yes, this advice was right, um, that not knowing what's going on is part of the process and how the job actually functions, then I felt a lot better. But going in, I, I'm not lying to you when I said I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and the last piece of advice I got on that front that I didn't believe when I got it, but now I give to, to potential future clerks, um, is that you're hired for a reason. Um, and you wouldn't be hired if you couldn't do the job, and you wouldn't be hired if you couldn't figure it out. Um, and 
nobody wants to hear that at the beginning uh, when you don't know what's going on, um, but it actually really is true. It just takes a little bit of time to, uh, to realize that. Those are all great points, Luke, especially the details on simple things like how do you even get into the building? Um, I will offer a few pieces of first day advice for anyone who's actually reporting to the courthouse on their first day. Uh, my tips are arrive early because like Luke said, if you're trying to enter security and there's a jury trial or there's a lot of folks lining up to try to get passports, you could be stuck in a really long security line. So do give yourself extra time. Go ahead and wear a suit that first day. You're going to be meeting a lot of people. You might have to have your photo taken. Go ahead and dress to impress. Uh, bring a snack or just go ahead and bring a lunch because uh, especially in district court, the pace can be really overwhelming. And sometimes when people are giving you orientation, they forget to feed you. So do bring a little snack in case you end up in a situation where you need to replenish your, your energy. Um, and then my last piece of advice is make sure you introduce yourself to the court security officers. Those folks can be a lifeline. They can help you when you need help, but they need to know who you are, even when you forget your badge. So make a point of introducing yourself, say hello every time, they'll end up being really important people in your life. Um, so Noor, tell us, how long did it take for you to feel comfortable with the flow of work and the back and forth with your judge? Um, in the spirit of complete honesty, not even on the last day, um, you know, I, I think that a couple months in, as Luke was saying, I felt like there was a process that I understood. You know, I was assigned a dispositive motion. I worked on that dispositive motion. When I had reached a recommendation, I would engage a conversation with my judge, but actually doing the work and determining what the outcome should be and reviewing the record was intimidating with every case. I think that what makes the district court particularly unique is the volume of stuff that's coming through and just the different procedural and substantive scenarios like a motion to dismiss on subject one was super different than a motion to dismiss on subject two, even though procedurally it was the same step of litigation. Um, so yeah, so to be totally frank, I would say, you know, I had to be really um, you know, uh, focused and attentive about gaining a command of the record, because especially with some motions that have a lot, a lot of stuff, motions for summary judgment, um, appeals from agencies, there's a lot of stuff going on in the record. And sometimes the parties, you know, because they're busy lawyers or for whatever other reason might not do the best job of, um, you know, finding everything in the record that supports their point or is against their point. And, you know, we've got to check for every nook and cranny. So, so yeah, I found it challenging every step of the way. And, and the flow of work was really different with every case. Um, so kind of, again, like what Luke was saying, it was kind of just new all the time. Everything was new. I hear that. Um, I, I remember thinking the learning curve in district court felt like it took about nine months. Um, and I remember talking to one of my co-clerks about that exact feeling where he expressed a real sadness and having to leave right after he felt like he finally figured out what he was doing. Um, I was lucky that I had a two-year clerkship with just the most wonderful district court judge. So I got to really enjoy that second year 
feeling confident in what I was doing. But often I think you can get, just like Nora said, to the end of your whole year and still think there's there's things I don't understand how to do yet. There's things I could, I could stay here and learn more. Um, so for those of you who are in 18 month or two year long clerkships, you're gonna have a great time. Do not worry about getting bored. Uh, Vikram, tell us, you clerked for, two, for judges at the trial and appellate levels. How would you describe that learning curve in district court? Was it the same as the learning curve in the Ninth Circuit? So I think that there is some clear like overlaps between the types of work that you do in both types of clerkships. You have to write, you have to research, you have to sort of get to the right answer. You have to dig through um, mediocre briefs to try to figure out um, you know, what's going on in a case and get to the bottom of it. Um, but that said, the, the, the pace of district court, especially I think in places like SDNY or the Northern District of California, many other places, is just relentless. And there was definitely a learning curve there. Uh, you know, I think also there's this whole part of district court work, which is case management, um, which in the Court of Appeals is just sort of handled for you by the clerk's office, um, where they, you know, give you some nicely printed and bound briefs, um, and then you can flip through them. Um, and they do all the scheduling and things like that. Whereas in district court, you know, as a clerk, at least uh, for me, I was responsible in part for helping the judge manage her calendar and her schedule. Um, and so that is a whole piece of this. And then there's just pieces of district court work that are, that were extremely foreign, like um, claim construction, which I had no idea what it was the day before I did it. And I can tell you now I have no idea what it is. Um, and if you asked me to do it, um, Nor was talking about how she, uh, even up until the last day, was not um, fully comfortable. If you asked me right now to go do some uh, claim construction order, I would still feel uncomfortable and have no idea what I was doing. Um, and so there are just parts of it that are unfamiliar, but I think that, that those things that were really unfamiliar in terms of case management and discovery stuff um, were the parts that are kind of most helpful to me now in practice. Like, I'm really glad I learned those at that time rather than trying to figure it out now. Um, so so the, cur the learning curve in district court is steep, but I think really, really worth it. And now whenever I talk to somebody who's thinking about clerking, I always sort of try to encourage them to clerk on the district court because I think at the end of the day, you get more out of it than on the Court of Appeals. Well, as someone who enjoys that day-to-day -day of having things handled for you in a court of last resort, I got to say, it's pretty nice, Bikram. I don't know. I'd encourage people to, to think about the appellate clerkships too. But all of those details that you touched on, Bikram, the logistics of how a court functions, like those are really important details that I think most people don't even know to ask about when they first start their new clerkship. Like things as simple as where do people go to file their briefs? Like who do they interact with? How do these case management statements just show up in your mailbox? Um, who are these people in the clerk's office? What do they do? Who are the people that review the opinions before they go out to the public? Those are reasonable questions to ask. They might not be first day questions, but they certainly are questions that you can ask within the first month. You should ask your judicial assistant or a senior clerk that you work with. Those are the kinds of things that are just so day-to-day um, -day normal for them that they probably will forget to tell you unless you ask specifically. But there are a lot of little things like that. Um, if you can gain an understanding of how the court functions, 
it can actually help you make a lot of sense out of the work that you are asked to do to support your judge. So Noor, tell us about an approach to the work that you took at the start of your clerkship that changed as you gained more experience. When I first started, I felt the time pressure of being a district court clerk in the sense that there was a lot going on all the time. So when I was assigned a dispositive motion, like a motion for summary judgment or a motion to dismiss, I would you know, jump into the complaint, jump into the briefs, start combing through the record. And I found myself too far into the weeds before I understood the big picture of the case. So a couple months in, I realized that making, making myself familiar with other materials at the outset made me more productive. Things like reviewing the status reports and joint status reports submitted by the parties, listening in on status hearings to see how uh, the parties are describing their theory of the case. For, for lack of a better word, it just gave me a better understanding of the vibe of the parties, which ultimately made resolving the motion a lot less daunting because when you have a bunch of paper in front of you, it's really overwhelming to try to figure out what's important and what's not important. And litigation is ultimately about strategy. And so the parties are trying to direct you towards different things in the record. Uh, you know, that's, that's going to support them on their arguments and points, but recognizing the theory of the case, big picture at a high level, all of that, um, I think makes a law clerk a little bit more of an expert uh, going into the motion than just jumping right in uh, to the complaint and other briefings. I think that's right, Nora. I remember feeling... Um somewhat possessive about cases. You know, you get so into them that they start to feel like your case, like you are dedicated to the case beyond just resolving the motion. You wanna know the details about what's happening in CMC. You wanna know what people are thinking. And I, I think all of that is correct. Um, Luke, you're now an associate at a San Francisco boutique law firm. What's a skill that you learned during your clerkship that you use regularly in your current position? I think that um, the biggest skill and both Nora and Vikram kind of talked about it is just the process of litigation. Like what is actually going on and what do you need to do um, and what's a big deal and what's not a big deal. Um, whether it's um, knowing when clerks are going to be changing in chambers. So you provide the court with a, you know, a joint letter brief about the status of the case or whether it's um, whether or not you uh, consult the, the local rules to whether to, to if you have to provide a proposed order or, or um, deadlines for filing responses or replies, etc. All of that stuff um, you learn as a, a clerk, especially on the district court level. Things come in on ECF, you see what it is. Uh, the more familiar you are with the case, you understand why it's coming in and how important it is or urgent it is. Um, some things you can resolve in five minutes and some things you don't have to look at again for, you know, a couple of months. Um, and, and knowing kind of how that works uh, impacts your decisions as a litigator and a practitioner. Also, I think for me, it's, it's a lot about a mindset too. As a, a clerk starting off, I was constantly shocked that I was given the responsibility to decide these things. It's like, these are big issues. You know, sometimes, you know, talking about hundreds of millions of dollars and we're talking about liberty interests or we're talking about righting wrongs and then my judge was just like yeah Luke go for it you know 
whatever you think, uh, I'm sure it'll be right. Um, and so now when I write, uh, especially in, in federal practice, because that's my experience as a clerk, I know I'm writing to the clerk. Um, and I know the clerk is going to read this. The clerk is going to be most familiar with the case. Sure, the judge will look at the orders and the final product and stuff like that. Or if there's a trial, the judge will obviously, obviously preside. Um, but what, what was important to me uh, when I was clerking? Uh, what were the things that were included in briefs that really turned me off or included in briefs that really um, made it easier for me to make my decision? Um, and that's how I write. Uh, and that's how I practice um, because clerks really make chambers run. Um, but that's not something you would necessarily know uh, absent clerking. I think that's great advice, Luke. And there, there is something truly terrifying and thrilling about knowing that when you bring an idea or a proposal to your judge, they're going to ask you, like, what is your opinion and what is your recommendation? And that you need to have an answer for that. You know, just because they have the title of judge doesn't mean that they aren't going to require you to bring a recommendation. Getting comfortable with that, especially right out of law school, I think is a real opportunity for growth. Um, and hopefully everyone that's listening in will have a chance to experience that uh, terror and thrill. Um, so no one comes out of law school knowing everything, even though it might feel like we know everything as we're graduating 3L. Vikram, in your first few months of clerking, what did you do when you were assigned a case in an area of law you knew nothing about? How did you approach diving into a totally new area? Yeah, so I was really, really fortunate that my judge had staggered start dates, which are um, fantastic because there, there was an outgoing clerk there for my first few months up and through my first sort of calendar sitting. Um, and so uh, the outgoing clerk was like just a tremendous resource. And then, you know, after that, I would say, you know, the JAs are incredible and know a lot about what's going on. Um, and then my co-clerks as well were incredible resources to talk through issues on. Um, ultimately though, what I would say is that there are briefs for, um, from both sides. You have people who are professionally obligated to try to give you the best arguments on both sides of, of the case, which is way more than you get in practice. Um, and when you have a new area of law. So you are at a huge comparative advantage in a clerkship compared to any other job that you will have. So um, I think it's important to recognize um, how fortunate you are in some ways to have this as your, um, you know, as one of your first professional opportunities. Uh, the other thing that I would say, and this is more sort of on the dorky and technical side of things is, you know, some of this is just basics of legal research and writing. And, and part of it is, um, I found law review articles really helpful, not the part where the law professor comes up with the new theory of how the law should work, but the background part where they tell you whatever, what all has happened so far in the law, like that stuff is good um, in terms of getting you up to speed on a body of law, as is, you know, all of the sort of normal secondary sources that you may um, ultimately look to like restatements and things like that. So I would say that's sort of how I approach new areas of law, but I always just really enjoy talking to my co-clerks about things like this. And um, they always sort of helped steer me um, uh, at least back onto a path if I was veering wildly off into some direction or the other. Absolutely. I just had one of those conversations earlier today where just talking out an issue to another really smart human helped me refocus what I really was stuck on. And, and just having that uh, sounding board can be hugely important. That person does not have to be your judge. 
it often is your co-clerk or just someone else trusted in the chamber's family. And being able to just talk through your thoughts is a really, really important part of um, both getting your thoughts in order, but then also sort of doing a preparation run before you have to talk to your judge about what you're thinking about. Um, and, and with the, the theme of talking to judges, um, Luke, tell us how you approach talking with your judges in situations when you had a different idea about how to approach a case than, than your judge might have. What advice would you have for new clerks about working with your judge when you start from different perspectives? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a really good question. And it's actually funny. Um, both, both of my judges in my interviews only asked me one question in our interviews. And Judge Owen, the only question he asked me was, what happens if you and I disagree on a case? And at first I thought it was a trick question. And then I was like, of course, I would never disagree with you, Judge. But um, I responded. I said, well, you, you hired me uh, to voice my opinion. And you hired me um, because you thought that I could analyze and think through tough issues. And so that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to present to you my findings. And I'm going to present to you uh, my recommendation. And if you disagree, I'm going to try and convince you uh, that I'm right. But up into a, a, a point, uh, your name is, is on the opinions, not mine. Uh, so at the end of the day, what you say goes. And all I can do is try to convince you based on the research and work that I've done. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's the right approach. Because there were times um, with both of my judges that, you know, we, didn't, we disagreed, maybe not on the ultimate outcome, but on how we should decide something or, or what arguments we should you know, certain times you, you only have to decide certain arguments. And then the rest of the case, you can say, you know, it doesn't matter based on these decisions. Um, and, and I would push back. And, and sometimes the judge would be like, you're right. You know what? I didn't understand that aspect of the record because they haven't read the whole record like you have in most instances. Um, and then there were other times where, you know, like judge, um, you know, I really feel strongly about this case this way or that. Um, and judge, especially Judge Owens, uh, because of the complexities of life. Having to have a, a whole panel decide a case, um, he'd be like, no, the panel's not going to go for that. Um, and, and this is the way we need to decide it. And so I would go back to the drawing board and, and, and start over and or alter my recommendation based on what he thought. Um, and, and that's kind of how I would recommend going about it in chambers. Just put your best foot forward. Stand by, stand by your intuition, stand by your research, but at the end of the day, you know, defer to the judge um, because uh, they are the ones uh, ultimately responsible for, for what comes out of chambers. I think that's totally right, Luke. And I think those points of disagreement can actually be great learning opportunities, uh, especially if you can delve a bit into why your judge is making the call that they've decided on. Um, I've learned a lot from my current judge about um, learning what you can compromise on, what things you can live with and what things are worth fighting about. Um, and those are lessons that are really important for the practice of law, but also just in life. I think one of the great things about having this super close and intimate working relationship with a judge is that they can make a huge impact on you as a person, both in how you practice law, but also how you interact in the world as a human. And so take those opportunities, even when you might be in a point of disagreement, to try to learn a little bit about what you might do differently the next time around or how you could approach a question or an issue with a different perspective. 
The next question is for everyone. What is something that had you known it when you started clerking would have made you a better clerk? I'll start with Noor. I wish that I had read a book or two about trial advocacy, um, or I wish I had taken an experiential trial class in law school. So this is a plug uh, for students who do have that opportunity, take those opportunities. It's, it's challenging though, because there's so many great course offerings at Berkeley Law, um, but I think it would have prepared me a little better for the district court if I had more of an in-depth understanding of trial, not even getting that far into the weeds, but generally what makes for a good opening, generally what makes for a good closing, you know, tips and tricks for examining a witness uh, on direct, cross-examination, um, just so I could have extracted a bit more from the conversations we had in chambers, you know, during and after trials where we would talk about um, the advocacy on behalf of the parties. What about you, Vikram? Yeah, I actually completely agree with Noor on that. I wish I could have seen a little bit more of the um, process of, of what was happening in the courtroom from the perspective of the advocate rather than just from the perspective of the judge. Um, obviously, I was sort of in the courtroom as the judge's agent. And so I, you know, I could, it was, it, I, I feel like I just, I feel like I just looked at the whole thing from the perspective of the judge in terms of trying to decide the case rather than from the perspective of the advocate trying to decide, you know, what are the strategic decisions this person is making? Like, where are they coming from? What, where are they trying to go? Um, and why are they doing that? Um, and I think, I don't know that it would have made me a better clerk. It may have made me a, somewhat of a worse clerk in some ways, but I think it would have made me get more out of the experience so that would be translatable into sort of subsequent jobs doing litigation work that I've had. Absolutely. What about you, Luke? I think uh, for me, clerking is largely about confidence. I mentioned it earlier in some of my other answers, but, um, you know, if I had known, if I had a little bit more confidence in myself at the jump, um, along the lines of you're hired for a reason and, you know, you're not, you, a judge wouldn't put you in a position to fail. Um, I think knowing that right off the bat would have made the transition a little bit easier. Um, and it proved to be the case for me um, in my second clerkship. My second clerkship um, was half in person and half remote. Um, and when you're in the courthouse, when you're in chambers, I don't know, there's, there's just a different vibe and maybe it helps you stay on your toes a little bit more. You feel like you're part of, uh, the judicial system in a little bit different way. And then when you, when you transition into working from home, there's less of that, um, I don't know, uh, circumstance and pomp and, and all of that, there, there's less of the feeling, um, that you're a clerk and that you're doing this work. Um, so having the confidence in your work actually makes that transition a lot easier or makes clerking from home a lot easier um, because you kind of have to gener generate that, that, that aura you're on your own. Um, and so, you know, going into my second clerkship, I had built up, the, built up that confidence um, throughout the first clerkship, and that really helped me. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit of advice for anybody who is either in or, or will do a clerkship that it's at least partly remote um the job is the same uh, uh it's just not in the same building or maybe the trials are on zoom 
or or what it may be, but you still should have that same confident confidence in your work, um, even if you're on remote desktop and not sitting at a fancy mahogany desk or whatever. On the on the remote work point, I think none of us would have thought we'd be clerking remotely in a global pandemic. Um, our court has been entirely remote for the entire last term, and then we are starting this next term remote and will stay that way until at least January. And that I know is not what the term clerks who are with us for this period expected when they were hired for this position some years ago. Um, we want to support new clerks when they come in. It's a huge concern of judges and of senior staff and of anyone that just helps the court run. So please know that. Know that there are people who are looking out for you, who are thinking about how can we make this experience really meaningful for you, even if you are at home working. But with that goes hand in hand a requirement that you ask for help when you need it. Like, don't pretend that you understand everything and just suffer through it silently. Um, if you need time to talk with a sounding board, if you have a specific question, please don't hesitate to reach out. People will be more than happy to spend time with you to help guide you because that's what we'd be doing in person. We'd probably be doing it even more. So even if you feel like you're sort of a squeaky wheel, chances are you're doing the exact right thing by reaching out and asking for help and then being open to feedback and to ideas when people are willing to offer it to you. That can be hugely helpful as well. Uh, we all know that clerkships are intense, they're fast paced and they're short term jobs. And so we'll all encounter circumstances where we need help during that intense year or two. That could be help with a subject matter question, with your workload, or with personal concerns like health or family responsibilities. What advice would you offer future clerks about when they should ask for help? And what resources did you turn to when you needed help? Let's start with Norm. So I found it really helpful and I, I think that I tried to apply this in other jobs that I've had too. So I think it's applicable in many situations to strike a healthy balance of communication with the judge. Um, you know, on the one hand, you do have to be self-sufficient. Your cases are your responsibility. Your dispositive motions are your responsibility. And you have to act like an owner because um, that's the scope of your responsibility. But at the same time, um, I tried to not be afraid of over communicating and preempting certain conversations. So if I felt like I was not going to meet a deadline, I didn't want to let the judge know on the date of the deadline um, or even the day before, if possible, if I could forecast a couple of days out um, that I wasn't going to have something ready on time because an issue ended up being trickier than I expected or I wanted to pause and talk to him about something. Uh, I think that ended up being really helpful in, in maintaining a, a healthy sense of communication about workflow uh, versus, you know, what I never wanted to happen was to be working on something and either be afraid not to bring up that I needed extra time or that I wanted to talk about something and the judge reach out and say something like, hey, where is this? Um, you were supposed to have this to me. Um, he, he didn't end up doing that perhaps because I over communicated and even if I felt like, oh, I'm being annoying by emailing about this little thing that's not due for a couple of days, but I still wanna let him know about something, it's better to lay that all out, I think, um, than wait. Uh, also regarding 
health. Like I tried to be transparent and open about, you know, health things that came up like doctor's appointments and, and other things. Uh, and also I think what's key is having a plan. Like if there is going to be some kind of interruption in your work, like, you know, my, I messed up my car and now my car is out and I'm going to have to arrange for alternative methods of transportation. And that might take me a day or two, but here's my plan for how to still get that thing to you that, that is due to you tomorrow or, or whatever, or here's, here's what would be helpful for me given this uh, interruption in my schedule. Uh, so, so yeah, in general, I would say it's better to give your judge a heads up about something, uh, especially if something comes up that's unexpected, then, then struggle and keep it to yourself. Absolutely. Vikram, what about you? Yeah, I think the key is to build relationships with, you know, your colleagues, your co-clerks, the JAs, other court staff, as well as the judge. And I think part of that is not, is um, being in a place where you're being helpful to other people when they're when they are in a time of need, uh, when you know they're having a hard time with their cases or struggling with something, jump in and volunteer and like raise your hand and and try to solve someone else's problem, uh, because then you know it. Obviously, you shouldn't help people merely because of the anticipation that someday they will turn around and help you. But it is a uh, it is a benefit of uh, being a helpful person. Um, so I think um, you know just constant communication with your co clerks in particular, right? Like they're in the same boat as you. They're probably as confused as you are. Um, they are there, um, you know, and they're smart people who who have you know intuitions about things that are that are helpful so communicating with them and and then i think the other part of it is you have to a little bit trust yourself i think as luke was talking about confidence and i think um you know you have to trust yourself to be able to solve these and answer these legal questions and just break them down into the smallest parts and try to answer the smallest possible question instead of sort of getting lost in a case um and i think once you do that you'll be able to take steps forward and you know I think as I was talking about a little bit earlier, you know, there are still areas of law that I don't sort of really understand, but I was able to, I think, still generate pretty good uh, work product uh, on that those areas of law in the moment because you're able to sort of not not get not try to bite off more than you can chew and solve more problems than um, than a case actually presents. What about you, Luke? Yeah, I, I agree with everything. And I think um, in addition to relationship building and, and communication, which I'll touch on in a second, I think a lot of clerking is, you know, it's kind of going through the motions at times. Um, you'll get to a point in your clerkship where you've seen exactly what's on your desk before. Um, and if you haven't seen it, it's likely that one of your co-clerks has seen it or the deputy or the JA or your judge. Um, so we would crib from opinions that had already been written. You know, I, I wrote one um, like uh, legal standard for each type of case ever. And then I never wrote it again. I just copied and pasted it, right? Because our judge wanted consistency um, in all of his opinions. Um, and, and that's a big part of the job. Oh, have you written a motion to dismiss on the Fair Labor Standards Act? What's the standard? What are the factors that are important? Um, yada, yada, yada. Oh, yeah. You know, co-clerk one. I wrote two of those last week. Here they are. You know, and that cuts down half of your time. And that's part of this communication and this relationship building. If you never tell anybody what your cases are, then they can't send you a case that they've written on the exact same issue. Um, 
And the, the last thing I'll say on that is chambers are, are really small. Nora was talking about it with one other co-clerk. Um, and because chambers are so small, you have much greater impact on the culture of that chambers, right? So whether or not you become lifelong friends with your co-clerks or, or whether or not you're hanging out outside of work hours, um, there's an extreme incentive and responsibility to uh, be a positive person to work with and a positive person to be around. In my opinion, more often than not, uh, that'll turn into friendships and that'll turn into positive relationships. Um, but you know, if the tone of chambers um, is positive, then your work experience is going to be positive. Then those questions about assignments or you know concerns about having to leave early for a family matter, then those just flow into these relationships. Um, and it becomes less of a, oh my God, I have a problem and more of a, hey, this chambers functions as a team and we just get it all done no matter what. Um, so those would be my thoughts. We had a saying in my district court chambers among the clerks, which was one team, one dream. And it was certainly the thing that we'd say to each other when, you know, you needed somebody to have your back or to cover for you or to just help you out. Um, and I think that that is a great mindset to take into your first clerkship uh, for all the reasons Vikram was saying. You help people because it's the right thing to do and it makes the work better. Um, and these are, these are going to be your good friends. Like Vikram actually was in one of his co-clerks weddings. Like these are people that will become very important in your life. And so that's, that's an exciting and wonderful part of the clerkship, um, as is knowing that you're making a positive impact on someone else's life. So we started our session today by asking you what you had hoped for and what you had feared at the start of your first clerkship. So now comes the moment of truth. Did anyone's fears come true? Let's start with Noor. Yes, I made a mistake and I was mortified, but I sat on it for a few minutes and thought, you know, it's better to just own up to this because if I own up to it, that's going to be the fastest way to resolve it. So I brought it to my judge's attention right away. Well, after those five minutes and proposed a solution. Um, and I think what I took away from the experience too, was that this job is really hard. And, you know, if, if it's your first job out of your, out of law school, especially like it's, it can be really overwhelming and you do have to give yourself grace, but also, you have to own it when you make a mistake because this is not pretend fact patterns anymore. It's real people. Uh, as Luke was saying, liberty is at stake, hundreds of millions of dollars at stake, all, all of these things that um, are so much bigger than, than the words on the four, um, you know, on, on the four corners of the page. Uh, so, you know, make a mistake, own it, get past it. Vikram, what about you? I would say no. I don't think my fears um, came to pass. You know, I think my biggest fear was about like my co-clerks and whether they would be like awful people. But as you said, I um, ended up becoming quite close friends with both of them and, you know, was in one of their weddings. And, and so it, it, that all turned out much better. I would say, and then the other piece in terms of worrying about the stakes of it all, um, the stakes are a lot lower than you think is, is what I would say. That doesn't mean that you should do a sloppy job, but if you make a mistake, there are checks and balances. You have your co-clerks, there's your judge, who's the actual decision maker. There's the other clerks and other judges if you're on a multi-member court. Um, but even so, sometimes you'll make a mistake that makes its way 
very close to or into a published opinion. Um, it happened. It happened to me m- multiple times. Um, but there are ways that you can fix it, right? Like you can issue an amended opinion. You can issue a correction. Parties can file motions for reconsideration, which your judge can grant. There are, there are off ramps here. Um, and again, you know, comparing clerking to other types of practice, you have because you are ultimately an agent for the person who's in charge of this operation, you are much better positioned to correct your mistakes than you would be if you were filing things before court that you didn't have the opportunity to sort of do have a do-over on. All of that is right, Vikram. And I think, again, how you respond and how you grow in a situation where you have made a mistake is a hugely important part of the clerkship experience both your personal response and then seeing how your judge responds when you make a mistake. There's a lot of really important modeling that can happen in those situations. And just think of it as an opportunity for you to improve and to grow. And that makes even the mistakes a little bit meaningful. Luke, what about you? Yeah, I think um, fears that we talked about at the beginning, they didn't come true. and you know, the job was worthwhile. And I feel like um, clerking, clerking twice, I developed skills that I wouldn't have other, otherwise developed. Now, you know, I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily better off than someone who didn't clerk, or I'm not, um, I don't have skills uh, that someone can't develop otherwise. I think maybe our processes have been different, but I do think that the clerkships were beneficial um, and I'm glad I did them. Um, and, and going to, to Nora's point about mistakes, I think my definition of a mistake changed what is an actual mistake. Um, and I'll, I'll just tell a brief story. Um, so I, one opinion I had, um, was like a civil rights opinion and I went back and forth, back and forth with my judge. Like, judge, this is really, really hard. Like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't do what you think is right. I was like, I don't know what I think is right, back and forth, back and forth. And um, after months, I ended up denying uh, or granting a motion to dismiss. So the case was done and I was fretting about it. And my judge, I think I messed this up. Like, I think we did something wrong. Um, and he was like, dude, it's all about your perspective. If you're right um, and there's an appeal, you know, we'll be affirmed by the second circuit. If you're wrong, the only way you can be wrong is if the Second Circuit creates more robust protections for civil rights litigants. And I was like, wow, that's an interesting way to put it. But what actually happened, I was wrong. And the Second Circuit issued an opinion that increased protections for civil rights litigants. So at the end of the day, that would be my, that was my goal, right? Um, And it was just about how I was approaching it and how I was looking at it. It wasn't a mistake. It actually turned out to be beneficial for litigants for years to come. Um, But in the moment, it seemed like it was a much bigger deal than possible. That's a great story, Luke, and a great note to conclude our session today. Um, I want to thank our wonderful guests. I'm so grateful to all of you for sharing your experiences with us today. And I know I speak for the entire alumni community when I say we wish all of our future clerks the very best as they start their new clerkships. Thanks for listening.